Good morning. I'm John, and this is the Daily Wrestling News Show for October 26th. It's late in 2001. The final WCW Nitro aired in late March. ECW took its final curtain call with a trash can full of beer in Pine Bluff, Arkansas in January and officially closed up shop in April. For most American wrestling fans, WWF was the only show in town. As the cliche goes, however, nature abhors a vacuum. So with plenty of talent looking for bookings, someone was bound to try and fill the void before long. But what happens when a fledgling company has WWE aspirations and decent financing, but not much above independent scene production and booking experience? Hey there, if you're listening to this, then chances are you love wrestling. And if you care to continue the conversation with me, John, and other listeners of this show, then I invite you to join the Daily Wrestling News Show Facebook group. Just search for Daily Wrestling News Show or go to facebook.com slash groups slash wrestling news show and click join. We cannot wait to meet you there. The group is brand new, so if you're one of the first to join, don't be afraid to say hi. Now, on with the show. The first to take a big swing at stepping into the wrestling power vacuum in late 2001 was Australian concert promoter Andrew McManus. He originally reached out to Vince Russo to get the project off the ground, but when Russo had a change of plans, he recommended former WCW ring announcer Jeremy Borash to take his place. The WWA, World Wrestling All-Stars, was the fruit of that collaboration. The company began touring Australia in late October and crowned its first champion, the Road Dog who beat Jeff Jarrett in the company's inaugural title match. He vacated the title just days later to set up the tournament that played out at the company's first pay-per-view, titled The Inception, which took place on this day in 2001. The first moments of the show don't bode well for the overall product. We hear the announcer begin to call for the first match, then shift on the fly, and out comes WWA Commissioner Bret Hart. During his trip to the ring, we hear Jeremy Borash, who is sharing announced duties with Jerry the King Lawler. The hitman apologizes for it taking him 23 years to get to Australia for the first time. This is prime bitter Bret. He claims that when he was WWF Champion, no one ever beat him for the title. Well, we all know how his final title run ended in Montreal, so okay, let's see where this is going. He then brings up the more recently sore subject of WCW. Brett claims that no one beat him for his title in that company either. Checking my notes, vacated first title run due to controversial ending, vacated second title run due to Goldberg's inability to throw a kick. Yeah, that checks out too. Anyway, Brett's always been Brett's biggest fan, but I love him, so I'll allow it. He lays out those facts in order to say that since no one beat him for his titles in WWF or WCW, when he crowns the champion tonight, it'll be like personally passing the torch directly from himself to the new WWA champion. The hitman is holding the pitiful WWA title belt, one of those boxing belts with the two inches of fur on the backside and the plates you can snap in half with your bare hands, and it looks surprisingly small as it hangs from Brett's wrist. Not a great sign when a company is ready to launch into the big leagues of wrestling pay-per-view, but hasn't had the time to commission a world title. But I digress. You can almost taste the bile in your mouth as you listen to Jerry Lawler putting Bret Hart over from the announce desk. This might be my favorite part of the whole broadcast. Bret finds a way to bring the conversation around so that he can drop in the fact that Vince McMahon is a piece of shit and we're on with the show. Borash lays out the Seven Deadly Sins tournament. Every match will have a stipulation 
culminating with a steel cage match to crown the new champion. More production issues, the announcer misses another cue, and we're ready for match number one. It's a ladder match for the International Cruiserweight Championship between Juventud Guerrera and Psychosis. Juvi's name is spelled wrong on the graphic. The double R in Guerrera is at the end of his name, not the middle. And it's even money whether this is another in a long line of production mistakes on the night or just an attempt to get around some copyright on his name. But Psychosis's name is spelled proper, so you'll be the judge. The winner of this match will also move on in the world title tournament. Hoovy comes out in a half mask and pulls it off to do his what if the rock spoke Spanglish gimmick. Psychosis is also performing without his signature mask. Lawler lays out the fact that these two have had a long and nasty rivalry with the humorous line, these two guys couldn't warm up to one another if they were cremated together. It's a decent match but leads me to believe that these two aren't terribly well-versed in ladder matches. They probably would have had a better match without the ladder. Hoovy wins after a sunset bomb off the ladder and a 450 splash from the corner leaves him enough time to climb the ladder and pull down the title. Another point of note, this is a real wrestling belt, and significantly larger than the world title we saw with the Kamish. So it's likely one of these cruiserweights brought it with him from some other company, which is probably why we never get a good shot of it on camera. The Starettes are out next to do their best Nitro Girl impersonation, and Lawler loses his mind. You really need a straight man to tell Lawler to calm down, and Borash seems to only be encouraging him. This could get ugly as the show goes on. Next up is a dog collar match between the Road Dog and K-Dog, aka Conan. Conan wraps his way to the ring, and dang it, more production issues means we don't hear a word he's saying until he gets to the ring and begins his... Let me speak on this, spiel. Borash is proving to be a more awful announcer by the segment. Conan gets to his rowdy rowdy and bowdy bout it line, and Borash follows with, yup, all the fans know, absolutely. Dude, let it go. You don't have to acknowledge every catchphrase. Road Dog doesn't get through his signature lines because Conan attacks, and away we go. Road Dog gets revenge when he hogties Conan with the chain between the two collars, and touches all four corners for the win. Referee Slick Johnson is only there to make sure that they keep the collars on, but somehow calls for the victory bell after Road Dog clearly pulled off his collar. A three and a half minute dog collar match, yeah, it's gotta be some kind of record, no? Oh well. Next up is a hardcore match between Devin Storm and Screamin' Norman Smiley. I just saw Smiley a few nights ago as part of a backstage break up a fight crew on an NXT broadcast and it made me smile. Seeing him in his element here was definitely a treat and brought an immediate smile to my face. This match went all over, but it ended at the top of the stage and under the Tron when Storm climbed the truss and dove 10 feet to put Smiley through two stacked tables. And then Smiley's arm fell across Storm's chest and Norman got the three count in the win. Good times. As we go to roving reporter Stevie Ray backstage with Commissioner Hart, we miss half of what Stevie has to say because there's audio bleed from a microphone that must be somewhere in the crowd and it's completely drowning him out. But eventually we find out that Hoovy is hurt and he's out of the tournament. And also, the upcoming Battle Royal is open to anyone who works for WWA, even the guy selling t-shirts on the concourse. Roving reporter Stevie Ray makes much more sense now, as he's off to join the fight. Buff Bagwell is the first participant. 
Wow, Borash is either really awful or really distracted by what's going on in his headset. He repeatedly stumbles over Buff's nickname. He's Buff, he's the stuff. It isn't really verbal jujitsu. Disco Inferno is next, followed by Stevie Ray, Norman Smiley, Crowbar. Then Lawler talks himself into joining, and he drags Borash along with him. Borash is quickly eliminated very gently by Stevie Ray. Two referees and a cameraman join in. The lovely backstage interview blonde enters, and after being groped by Lawler for five seconds, she eliminates herself just to get away from the king. Crowbar joins commentary in Lawler's absence. Borash calls him Devin Storm a couple times, but hey, King has mistakenly said WWF instead of WWA multiple times already, so who's keeping score? Down to Buff and Disco in the ring. Disco is eliminated by two Australian kid show performers, the Fruits and Suits. The Fruits are in turn eliminated by Buff, and Lawler returns to commentary. Crowbar has now moved over to timekeeper position, and he rings the final bell. Holy hell, this is a mess! Next up is a guitar on a pole match between Jeff Jarrett and hometown celeb slash WWF washout Nathan Jones. Jarrett informs us that he has all the stroke in WWA and is going to be the first ever world champion. Okay, we're pretending the previous show didn't count because they weren't on TV and Road Dogg wasn't already named champion. Check. I'll adjust my notes. We're quickly reminded why Jones is no longer in the WWF. Wow, is this guy sloppy. Jarrett winds up blasting Jones's mouthpiece with the guitar, but that's okay, it only takes the stroke to end this disaster in four minutes, and Double J is moving on in the tournament. Next up, King attempts to interview the Fruits in the ring, but this is just a thinly veiled setup for an interruption by the West Hollywood Blondes, Lenny and Lodi. The crowd barely seems to know who they are, but King gets to make his inevitable joke that, hey, now there are four fruits in the ring. Commissioner Hart pops his head through the curtain to inform us that the blondes will be filling in for Hoovy to give Road Dog an opponent in the semi-final round. In what's billed as a three-way dance, Lenny and Lodi turn up the volume on their non-PG aspect of their gimmick, and Lawler's commentary absolutely would get him fired in the US. But this sloppy calamity comes to an end shortly after the blondes turn on each other, and the road dog steals a pin while Lenny and Lodi are in what MMA calls the north-south position. But you might have a more numerical nickname for it in your own home. That's another four minutes of your life you'll never get back. Semi-final number two is Jared versus Buff. Although the graphic of Road Dog is on screen for 10 seconds before Buff's entrance, Keep up the good work, fellas. In keeping with the theme of the evening, the stipulation for this match is tits, whips, and buff. It's apparently a lumberjill match where the lovely ladies have cat and nine tail whips to encourage the competitors to return to the ring should they wind up on the floor. Another stroke by Jarrett and another four minute win puts Double J into the finals with the Road Dog. Pre main event palate cleanser time. The four-way skin-to-win match that they've been hyping all night. Former penthouse pet Queen Bee takes on Violet Tarazi, Adara James, and a fourth competitor by the name of Sharon A. Wad. Man, the subtlety of this night is almost Shakespearean. The rules of this match state that the last person left with their clothes on is the winner. Probably the reason this match is listed as a dark match just before the main event, at least on Wikipedia. I'm guessing this match didn't air in the US market, but I couldn't find any specific stories to back that up. Apparently Miss Wad is indie performer Danny Dominion in drag. He yanks the tops off of Queen Bee and Violet. 
They have body paint to match the color of their bikini tops, so you can barely tell if the tops have come off, but yeah, no way this was Aaron in the US. After some sloppy wrestling and an assist from Stevie Ray, Adara James rips the sundress off Danny Dominion to end this Vince Russo wet dream. And it's on to the main event. Road Dogg and Jeff Jarrett bounce each other off the cage probably more times than anyone needed to see. They start to climb. They hesitate at the top before heading down the other side. Jeff Jarrett's feet hit the floor and... Apparently that doesn't win a steel cage match in WWE. Then why the hell would these two have even bothered to climb? On the floor, Road Dogg busts open Jarrett with a ring bell before they head back inside the cage. After a ref bump, Jarrett leaves the cage to get his guitar and promptly makes toothpicks out of it over Road Dogg's head. He slaps on a sharpshooter and starts yelling for the bell, but there's no ref. He screams at Brett, but the always upstanding Kamish won't play that game and in fact instructs the timekeeper not to ring the bell. A second ref is in and almost immediately also takes a bump. Road Dog with a low blow kick and applies, yep, a sharpshooter. Again, no ref to see the tap out. Again, Brett is out of his seat to make sure the timekeeper does the right thing and not ring the bell. The WWA champ will win his title the right way. Okay, I'm a huge Bret Hart fan, and this is too much for even me. Brett starts to leave with the belt, but Road Dog exits the cage and swipes it from the commish. Back inside, Road Dog swings and misses at Jarrett, kick to the gut, and the belt falls. Jarrett hits the stroke onto the belt, and finally there's a conscious ref to count the one, two, three. Your winner and WWA champion, Jeff Jarrett. Oof. Brett enters the cage to have some words with Jarrett, and the show ends with your world champion tapping furiously to a sharpshooter applied by the commissioner. While I found reviews that called this show a breath of fresh air in a stale pay-per-view market, for my pay-per-view dollar, that air must have been wafting over from the direction of a landfill. There were enough solid B-level performers to put together a decent show, but when the biggest star is your commissioner, you probably should be building new stars along the way on this card, and none of that was seen here. And regardless of the fact that your commissioner is a Hall of Famer, you can't have him closing the show by going over your newly crowned world champion. The October event wouldn't air in the US until after January, by which time Jerry Lawler was already back in the WWF. The WWA would smarten up and bring in up-and-coming talent on future shows with the likes of AJ Styles, Low Key, Christopher Daniels, and Sharkboy, but one wonders if it was truly them trying to build a brand or just plugging holes when the likes of Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, and Randy Savage failed to make their advertised bookings. The company would later tour the UK, manage to put on a pay-per-view on US soil, and make it all the way to pay-per-view number 5, where they unified the titles with the new TNA promotion, and WWA would cease to exist in May of 2003. But it all started with one mess of a pay-per-view on this day in 2001. This has been the Daily Wrestling News Show for October 26, 2022. We'll see you tomorrow. Thank you.